God is so good to us in so many different ways, isn't he? And uh, we say it often, but sometimes we need to just uh, proclaim our faith that God is a good God. He cares about us. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's going on in our lives. And he knows what he's doing. We have a few announcements before we look at the 16th chapter of the book of Genesis. Um, we are in that beginning of summer uh, today, June 1st. And we kind of have a shift over in our children's ministries during the summertime. And we're in need of some volunteers. If you could offer a Sunday a month, uh, especially in our preschool area. Uh, we've been really happy with all that MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers Ministries, has been able to accomplish this past year, uh, including bringing lots of uh, families to this church who have little ones. And so uh, if you would like to be a blessing to preschool kids, they would love to be a blessing to you. All right. So if you could offer yourself one Sunday a month, that would be much appreciated. We also want you to uh, remember that the move of the church will happen on June 29th. This is our first Sunday in the new facility, June 22nd, the last Sunday here. Uh, the major part of the move will happen a week from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, June 12, 13, and 14. So if you kind of mark that off as days that you might be able to help, if you're free during the day, 12th and 13th, that's great. But on the 14th on that Saturday is kind of the major move day. So uh, please plan accordingly. Uh, today we are going to look at a story recorded in the 16th chapter of Genesis. And uh, as we go through our series on the relationship that God had with Abraham... Abraham and his wife Sarah had been waiting several years for the fulfillment of a promise that God had made to Abraham to make him the patriarch of a great nation. And God had given him this covenant and reaffirmed it several times. And we're going to find today that now we're 10 years down the road. Abraham is now 85 years old, no son. And um, the only thing that God had not done was actually fulfill this covenant. He kept saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Has that ever happened to you? Where you felt like there's, there's a movement of God, a call of God, a promise of God, and I'm going, to, I'm going to, I'm going to, someday. So one day, because they're now getting old, not that 85 is old, okay? But they are getting a little bit up there in years. And Sarah has an idea how to make this thing happen. Now, if, before I read this, uh, Genesis 16, let me say that it is always, underline always, not in our best interest to come up with our own ideas be think, because we think God is slow in working out his promises in our lives. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne, in, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now please go into my maid, because I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done me be upon you. Whose idea was this in the first place? 
I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. Well, okay. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she, Hagar, fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child. You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Now, belief has grown up around this scene, this, uh, and it's this belief, that Ishmael is the ancestor of all Arabs. And as we trace this back, no doubt his lineage includes people whom we would call today Arab people, but it is probably not the case that all Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael. And it would also be a mistake to say that Muslim people in general are descendants of Ishmael. Sometimes I hear that. And it's not necessarily true. What we know is that God honored his promise to Abraham to bless his offspring. And Ishmael had many descendants, even though he was conceived in such a way. And I will tell you this, that isn't it true that God is the creator of all life? That every person that is born is a creation of God. It is God who brings the elements together to be able to produce a baby, a child, a son, a daughter. And so there is a plan that God has. Even though it happened this way, it was something that God used to bring about his ultimate plan, to communicate to us about how he works and about our condition here on this earth. You can go over to the book of Galatians in the New Testament, and Paul devotes the last half of chapter 4 to explaining to us what Hagar and Sarah and this, this whole event is about here in Genesis 16. And I want us to read that over in Galatians 4. Before I do, though, I want you to think of it this way. Hagar is a symbol. Hagar becomes a representative of how man solves his own problems. There was this problem, and the problem was is that there was no heir for Abraham. There was it didn't seem like God was going to actually do it. Or maybe he wanted our help. Or maybe he needed uh, a new idea. I can't even believe I say those things. But uh, that's what happened here. And Hagar becomes this symbol that this is, how God, this is how man operates. Man takes matters into his own hands, gets ahead of God, goes out there, and does what he thinks is best. Sarah, on the other hand, becomes representative doing things God's way. Not particularly the way Sarah acts in this scene. 
But in general, Sarah is what is called the free woman, Hagar, the bond servant. She becomes that symbol, that representative of how God does things. She became pregnant when she was, let's just say, past childbearing age. And she did because God worked a miracle. He fulfilled everything he had promised, and he did it in such a way that everyone knew it was God who did this. This was impossible with man, but with God it was possible. It was supernatural. It was miraculous. And so Paul writes this in Galatians 4, 21 through 31. He says this, Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, a physical place, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. And she has borne all of us as we have borne into this world. We were born slaves, slaves to sin. Verse 25, now this Hagar is Mount Sinai. It has a physical location in Arabia and corresponds to the present physical Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, heaven the new Jerusalem. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Amen. You see, from the beginning of time, God has been telling us, and before I get into this, I just want you to don't make this mistake. I think sometimes people read this and they go, well, he's really talking about the difference between the Muslims and the Jews. That's not what this is about, folks. This is about those who are servants and slaves in their sinfulness and those that are free through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And anybody who's living as a slave is living under the symbol of Hagar. And anyone who lives free is living under the symbol of the free, Sarah. And God wants us to know that. He wants us to know that there are two ways to live. There's man's way and there's God's way. Think about all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What, what are the symbols of the Garden of Eden that show us this? Well, we have two trees. We have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's knowing what is good. It's knowing what is evil. It's trying to be good. It's trying not to be evil. It's living from this tree means that, means that you're always focused on those things, things that you do, things that are good and things that are bad. It's man's way of operation. Reward when you're good, punish when you're bad. 
And so we grow up believing it's all about being good and not being bad. Do this. Don't do that. However, there's this other tree in the Garden of Eden, isn't there? It's the tree of what? Life. It represents God's way. Over here's man's way. It's all about what you do. Here's God's way. It's all about the life of God. Living from this tree is actually living opposite from that tree. Here, instead of trying, you're receiving. You're receiving the very life of God in order which to live. It's, it's much like Adam and Eve before they sinned. They enjoyed God. They enjoyed His presence because they were innocent before Him. They were feeding on Him. They just enjoyed each other, not even having consciousness of their own needs. Living from this tree of life is living from the life of God. Hagar, the symbolism is just amazing. It's, it's so extensive. What was, what was Hagar's occupation? Slave. Where was she from? Egypt. Her son Ishmael was blessed because he was also the son of Abraham. His lineage produced a vast nation and it's representative of the physical earthly man way. So I began to ask myself, how do I know? How do I know for certain if I am living in the legacy of Hagar or in the legacy of Sarah? Or how do you know if you're living God's way, the tree of life, or man's way, tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I want you to know something very clearly, and that is that uh, although every Christian has been set free from the law of sin and death, the scripture tells us that every Christian person has been set free from the law of sin and death, many still live in it. It's as if they're in a prison cell and the door is open, <laughs> and they still abide there. The shackles are around their feet, but they're unlocked, and they're still living there. So how do you know? Well, I thought I would just give you a few tests today. A few tests to see if you are still living in the slavery represented by Hagar, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I've just come up with this little test. It signs you are living as a slave. How many of you would like to know those signs today? Signs that you are living as a slave. Uh, the first one I, I have here is when you fail, you condemn or you contend. So uh, how do you respond to your own personal failure? You know, I've been, I've been watching these NBA playoffs. Anybody else watch those NBA playoffs? I mean, I mean they, they've got it to where you watch one game one night and then they switch to the other one the next night. You can watch one every single night almost. And so I record them because I don't like free throws. Fast forward, you know. I can watch them pretty quick. But I've noticed this. There's, 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 there's certain things about personalities of players. Such as there's, there's some guys out there that as soon as the whistle blows, me, it was me, I did it. Fouls on me. Or every time something bad happens, my bad, my bad. I take the blame. I take the blame. It was me. It was me. Anybody like that here? 
that as soon as something's wrong, you assume that you did it. As soon as there's a harsh word said, you assume, well, (laughs) what did I do? As soon as you get a bad look from somebody, what did I do? There are certain personalities that just respond and take blame and condemn, self-condemn. So I'm asking you today, when you fail, when you come up short, are you prone to condemn self? On the other hand, there's people like LeBron. I don't like Miami, just don't. Yeah, hey man. I knew I'd get some here. And LeBron can come up and he can just whack somebody and the whistle blows and he goes, what? His back got in the way of my hands. What are you saying? I'm not at fault. Have you known people like that? As soon as, as, soon as you catch them red-handed, they have some reason why it happened. And it certainly wasn't whose fault. <laughs> Their fault. They're either quick to condemn themselves or they're quick to contend that it wasn't their fault. Because their whole orientation is what? Behavior. But then you got guys like Tim Duncan of the San Antonio Spurs. He can make a bad play. He can make a good play. He just keeps what? Playing. He just keeps going. He knows that the sum of his value as a basketball player isn't wrapped up on one particular scene from one particular game. And I'm telling you, folks, so many Christian people think that their identity is all wrapped up in their latest failure or their latest success as a Christian. And they live in the past, they can't get over the past, they keep going back to that event, they keep going back, they keep blaming, they keep living them. They can't enjoy the walk. That's a sign you're living as a slave. You're just a slave. The prison doors are open, but you've chosen to stay. Another test is this. You are critical of the behavior of others. Okay, let's vote. How many of us would say Well just 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 do a little soul searching. It's you find fault. It's just what you do. You find fault with Churches, you find fault with other churches. You find fault with your spouse. The first thing you do when you leave someone's home or church or school or your job is think about how, how dumb people are. <laughs> you know, man, why are they just so... Why do they do that? You just wish everybody would behave right. This is a sure sign that you're living as a slave. You're just a slave. Number three, you're critical of God's behavior. This is real personal, folks, with us today because in my years as men, in ministry and counseling with people and all of this, uh, this is the one that is most prevalent and least 
recognized. Most people would never come out and say it because they know it's a wrong thing to say. But the way they live and the way they talk and what they're saying is saying that God has not done what I think he ought to do. He has not come through according to my expectations. Doesn't he understand what I'm going through? There are times when we just wonder why God isn't doing what we think he ought to. And uh, I want you to know that is a sign of slavery. That is a sign of slavery because, think about it. What is it that you want him to do? You want him to make your worldly life better. You want more comfort or prosperity or well-being. It's an obvious sign that you're a slave. Number four, you're generally speaking stressed or fearful or just basically unhappy. Stuff stresses you out. You're fearful of the next payment that needs to be made. And, or you just have this underlying unhappiness with life. It's just not going the way it ought to. You're so, you're so invested in the world that everything is spinning around it. And I want to say this as strongly as I can. Your situation is not your problem. There's an old saying we say a lot of times around here. Your problem is that you think your problem is your problem. <laughs> right? Your problem is that you think your problem is your, really, your real problem. Your problem is that you are living man's way. You look at these things up here and you're saying, but pastor... <laughs> This is life on this planet. Right? This is the life that Jesus came to save you from. This is the life that the joy of Jesus replaces, exchanges. You want times to change in order for you to be happy. You want people to change. You want your finances to change. You want your spouse to change. You want your church to change. You want your government to change. Oh, my. <laughs> I'll never be happy with this government. And so I get up every day and I watch Fox News and I'm just madder and madder and madder. <laughs> I'm stressed. I'm fearful. I am unhappy. Folks, we need not live like a slave. You know, I love the Word of God because Paul concludes this whole passage. If you follow this line of thinking all the way through this discussion in chapter 4, he closes it with the first verse. And the first verse of chapter 5 ought to be just 
attached to chapter 4. Look what it says in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, you see, if you don't read chapter 4, you don't realize that that's not being redundant. If you just read this by itself, you would think he's being redundant. No, he's not. It is for the sake of your personal freedom from all of this stuff, the world's way of operation. It was for your personal spiritual freedom that Christ died on a cross and forgave your sins and implanted in you his Holy Spirit and set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And he could add, because it makes no sense. (laughs) It makes no sense to stay in the prison cell when the door is open and the shackles are unlocked. Why are you still there? Isn't it time to walk out and be free? Haven't you lived like a slave long enough? See, Jesus doesn't want you just forgiven. He wants you free. I, I know them, I and you know them too. There are, there are just so, there's just people who can take their personal failure in stride. You, you point out their personal failure, and they just go, you know, I really did blow it. Forgive me. I am so sorry. I said the thing I shouldn't have said. I, I'm so sorry. And then they are just able to just move on. They don't stay and wallow in it, and they don't defend themselves. They're just They just take it in stride and they know that who they are isn't wrapped up in that. They learn from their mistakes. There's there's no sulking. You know, they cut other people (coughs) slack all the time. They, 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 They give people all of the freedom that they need because they know no one's capable of good without the goodness of God. There's I can't expect people to be perfect around me. Why am I always cutting them down? Why am I always finding fault with everybody? There, there are people who are just constantly live in forgiveness and acceptance of other people. They take the setbacks that are dealt them as just temporary. They know that God is their source. He's always capable. You can't steal their faith away. They know that God uses all things to bring about good. He's always faithful. They know that even if they got thrown into a prison for living for Jesus, well, they get to praise Jesus in prison with all their heart because the world treated him the same way. They're walking the walk of Jesus. You see, they're not invested here. They just never seem to get stressed or fear, even unhappy. There's just too much joy because of what Jesus has done. And who he is. What word best describes him? (laughs) Free. Free. I'm here to tell you today, you may be listening to this and saying, oh, that sounds good, but you don't know my life. I'm here to tell you, you, I don't care where you are, can be free. You can be free. Now, how do I know that? Because the really cool thing here is this. Your freedom is totally up to (laughs) you. It's your choice. You want to continue to be shackled and you still want to live in your fear and you still want... I think it's a bad choice, but it's your choice. You 
You can just come to Christ and say, set me free from man's system. I've been living that system. Set me free. He'll show you where you're invested in the world and he'll, he'll, he'll free you from it. Yeah, it may mean stripping away your idols of attachment that you have, but as the shackles fall away, you'll realize how good life can really be and you'll realize that all along these shackles were unlocked, that door's been open, all I've had to do all these years is walk out. There's going to be times that you're going to fail, but you're going to take it in stride, knowing that my identity is Christ. It's not my behavior. I just put it in the past. I move on. You'll live with others in a spirit of love and acceptance and forgiveness. and You'll leave the critical spirit aside. You'll, you'll, you'll quit the self-righteousness. You, you won't hold God responsible for all the bad things that you see in your life. You see, the world won't have you anymore. The Hagar life, it won't have you anymore. You just won't care about so many things that you've cared about. You'll be free. Free. I'm here to tell you, Jesus can set you free from everything. Jesus can bring heaven. I mean, do you believe heaven can be here right now? I do. I don't have to wait till I die to live the heaven life. I can live the heaven life right here. Is heaven free from the world? Oh, you bet it is. Can I live the freedom from the world right now here and have the joy of the Lord and just walk in His truth and walk in His grace and walk in His joy? You bet I can. It doesn't make any sense to keep living in shackles. It doesn't make any sense. Father, we are uh, grateful for the many ways in which you communicate to us through your word. And over the years as we study these things, Father, we see that there is this, uh, there's this central message. The central message that we are born in sin and we are born with a bent towards world investment to try to make our lives happy, to try to do it man's way, to try hard to succeed and to accumulate enough money and make our worldly existence comfortable and we can try and we can toil and labor and, and that we're all, we all start there. But knowing that we can't really ever find our destiny, we can't ever really find that righteous goodness that we know we ought to have and we never can quite live the way we know we ought to live and so you seeing us in this desperate situation sent your son Jesus Christ into this world to live the life that uh, we all desire to live and we, we've watched it and we've seen it we read about it in the word and, and he died on a cross so that the life that he lived can be imparted into us that we don't have to any longer keep our investment in this world, trying to make our worldly life work out and trying so hard and hard. We can find you. And we can realize that the beauty of you <laughs> overwhelms. Overwhelms. And we can, we can come to the realization that when we have you, we've got everything. And we can be free from the attachments and the, the stuff.
Father, I pray right now that you would break the shackles of money in the lives of people. I pray that those that are here today, and there's, there's this constant financial burden, this constant financial slavery that they find themselves in. I am praying today, Father God, that you would start their new road by breaking the shackles that the enemy has embraced them in. I'm not saying that you're going to bring a boatload of money to them, Father. I just pray, Father, that they would be free from the worry, the fear, the, the doubt, and that faith would increase. I pray, Father God, for the shackles of addiction to fall in the lives of people today. Father, I pray for those that are addicted to anything, relationships or alcohol or sex, drugs. Oh, I pray, Father, today that you would break those addictions, that, they, that you, Father God, would be so overwhelming in their life that they would see a new you and that they would realize that if they keep trying and trying and trying, they're going to keep failing and failing and failing. But if they open up and receive the very life of God, and walk out of the cell, that you can... <laughs> By your power, you can do things that they never thought possible. And so I'm praying, Father God, today that you would release us. The, the things that the enemy wants to get us all tied up over, Father God, I pray that you would break them in this place, in this hour, this day, Father God. And may it be freedom that we, we not only believe, but we know. Oh, we know it. I never knew I could be so free from this world. I never knew I could be so lost in the love of Christ. I never knew that life could be like this. Rain upon us today, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. I want you to stand together. We're going to sing this song of testimony today. If you need to stop and pray, I would ask you to do that. But may God use this ministry of music to just confirm his message in us today.